The uh, theme for the evening talk is uh, awareness, the uh, uh, open doorway. Earlier today, uh, uh, Hannah sitting here said to me that I uh, uh, was looking tired when we were talking and then I had seen uh, earlier, just before that, Susan in her uh, impressive looking running shoes and after talking with uh, uh, Hannah I um, made a resolve to uh, go for a long run and um, have a shower <laughs> for your comfort and um, and have a change and I come back feeling quite refreshed <laughs> thank you thank you and I'll try and stay awake for the duration of the talk <laughs> so sometimes one, as we were touching upon a little bit with the inquiry today, we uh, have a faint awareness, in this case, tiredness, tiredness in the body, tiredness in the mind, or the usual things of life, and yet the firmness of response to uh, doesn't materialize. So someone else then adds their awareness directly and uh, indirectly to one's own awareness and thus the combination of the two thus provide the catalyst for action and therefore that awareness has an extra we might say uh, energy in it and uh, an extra movement going alongside it and it brings its own uh, action and it's this attending and listening really both inwardly and outwardly which contribute to the uh, enlivening of an awareness so from that awareness comes a clear perception of what's useful, what might be necessary and from that comes the direct action to uh, resolve, in this case, uh, tiredness or any other circumstance of our our life. So the presence of something, then, uh, the awareness of something in life, then turns our attention to a particular object of interest. We use the label tiredness, we use the label anger, we use the label emotions, we use the label today uh, parents, or whatever else it might be. And so we bring more attention to it with the purpose of bringing it out even more. We actually make that area, that object of interest, stand out in the awareness much more clearly. And awareness is quite choiceless with regard to that. It uh, uh, doesn't really easy to pick and choose, but it helps to make things stand out. And so it's not surprisingly at times when we're bringing awareness to our situations in, in life, things can appear and seem to be 
whatever, more difficult than what they were, but actually it's just highlighting things much, much more. And in that uh, highlighting, in and of itself, whatever you and I are trying to resolve in life, doesn't obviously guarantee nor ensure that in the highlighting of it, 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 it carries its resolution as well. It's just being clearly, clearly highlighted. And in the, highlight, in the highlighting of, it might be, whatever the object of interest for us is, that some other tendencies also begin to stand out that little bit more clearly. And when those other tendencies begin to stand out a little bit more clearly, the situation can appear to grow. So teachings and practices are exploring ways and means A. to bring awareness to the object of interest, to see what happens in relationship to the object of uh, interest, and bringing to our awareness as well, when necessary, other ways of looking at a situation. And sometimes there's quite a natural wisdom inside of us, which if we are only patient enough and ask ourselves gently and kindly and firmly, what is another way of looking at this situation? What is another way of relating to this situation? And if we're quiet and pa patient, it well can be that some other responses can come. And if we can stay steady with the other responses that can come, they will actually increase and nourish the awareness. So just following the track there of what I said, that it's always so easy to follow. Something comes to our awareness which is important to us. It's a particular object, it might be a certain state of mind, it might be a certain person in our life, it might be a certain uh, uh, issue of past, present or future, and then the relationship is formed. Object of interest, either within or without, awareness of the object, and the movement of the inner life in relationship to the object. Sometimes the movement of the inner life is quite satisfactory. It's warm, it's supportive, pure intention, um, uh, in a state of balance, not full of uh, aversion, attraction and aversion, not full of uh, reactivity, not charged with escape, those things we have touched upon over the days. So there's the object, there's the awareness, and sometimes what gives support to it, the intentions and the outlook and the attitude, is all in a state of well-being. I'm aware of giving a talk. The talk is the uh, object. The intention is to inform, to inspire, to provide uh, in insight. That's all giving support to the flow of the talk. And with the firm intention for the welfare, more than that, in fact, for the liberation and enlightenment of humanity, of human beings. And so when that doesn't require any questioning on my part or any uh, doubt or judgment. 
good, bad or ugly, it's just clear the process, awareness, talk, intention and the heart's contribution. But, as I said, other situations are markedly and uh, noticeably different for us. And there's awareness and object and other tendencies are at work. Acting upon the object of interest. Fueling it, distorting it, making it something other or whatever. And thus, the object gets distorted, the perception of it gets distorted, and, and we sense, if we're just a little bit in touch with ourselves, we sense it might how inaccurate or how much of a misperception it is. One person today commented, not unusual, that one sees somebody for the first time and an immediate impression is formed. This case, person see somebody for the first uh, time and the impression uh, was oh, this is a cold person and then that impression can stay it can stick the person was referring to me incidentally and I'm, I'm going to do my best to prove that I'm not now of course and there's so there's the initial impression which arises and in the arising of the uh, impression one is impressionable and it can, it can, it didn't with this person, thank God it can stick over the consciousness and it becomes a, a filter through which we see somebody and we've assumed this is who the person is and so any period of uh, in this case, uh, my part, of coolness, which I definitely can be, cold, yes, I can definitely can be, detached, yes, I can be, what else are the descriptions that might go along with Christopher? Anyway, all those, you make up your own. Um, that it all tends to then reinforce the original impression. It doesn't allow for poor devils like Christopher to undergo any change because the impression is formed and got rather static and its accuracy may be at times but it's no statement of who I am any more than anybody who has an impression of you impressions are, are bound in the arising of time and nobody can be consistent in their in their impression and that, that, that's the only time that you and I will be truly cold is when we're dead <laughs> of course that may be your impression of me and the man but anyway that's something else <laughs> so there's this awareness object from the object we draw an impression from that impression, can it, see, can it be seen as such? It's a genuine act of kindness to ourselves and our clarity, genuine act of kindness to the object of, en of attention and uh, interest. Say, oh, this is the impression I have right now. It's not denying it, not refuting it, but it's acknowledging in life the arising of impressions is the arising of impressions. 
the passing of impressions is the passing of impressions. And the impression that we have is not the true reality. It's the impression. And therefore, awareness, perception and object, awareness, perception and object, you and I live our life through this process. It's hopeless as an endeavour in life to look outside of it. It would just be to get into abstraction, theories, metaphysics or whatever. So in the movement of our inner life, awareness, impression, uh, sorry, awareness, the perception that go along with it of course, the intention and the object. In some situations, as was pointed out by one person in a small group, when from the awareness and then we have an intention we have an intention to change as an example we have an intention to do something about we have the intention to add to or whatever it might be if we're not clear about the movement that intention coming out of our awareness of a situation latches upon the object and the object gains a substance a feeling of being substantial in the mind and we find that the object is perceived as resistant you think of any situation where you're relating to other or others and you have an intention and you feel it's a wholesome intention you're trying to handle it well and skillfully you're wanting a response from the other person and one's not getting the response so then one tries a little harder the intention with that in an unwise way can get more investment in it the end result is one meets a wall of resistance and one wonders why am I getting so much resistance and one forgets one's awareness, perception and relating contributes to the resistance and sometimes we have to accept no, no matter how much awareness we have how much intention, how wholesome it might be, how healthy, how good we might feel it might be doesn't mean to say the object, that means the person or person is going to say, oh, hallelujah, you're so right, you're just so clear, you, etc, etc If you have any doubt about this, come to a guy house committee meeting <laughs> about two lifetimes ago I remember with Gaia House um, requesting on my hands and knees and salutations for a fax machine 
I thought this would be a wonderful resource for the welfare of the planet. Everywhere I went, I could see fax machines. <laughs> Every high street in India, even in the back streets of Budgaya, there are fax machines. Every retreat centre I went to, every organisation, there's only one place in the whole world that didn't seem to have a fax machine. <laughs> and it's the place I'm told I'm the co-founder of. And so after doing my fax mantras, um, I just kept getting resistance for all sorts of apparently good reasons. And eventually on Saturday, or was it Sunday, we finally agreed after two lifetimes that we're going to have a fax machine here. I think it should be the main news item on the next newsletter. <laughs> So I say, sometimes one meets what one thinks is a great idea and others can't share such enthusiasm. And then one sees that and one uh, uh, either lets it go or worries oneself into the grave over what we're missing. Or one finds other ways to explore things so that there is awareness, there is the intention, there is the object of exploration and seeing sometimes is the action, is the approach, is the wish, is the intention generating resistance. And even if, as some people will do in life with their relationships or their work or other people or whatever kind of bully their way into getting their own way They'll ignore the resistance and push hard on another and then the other person will cave in or, or whatever it might be. But what one doesn't realise in that, that in due course it would provoke a reaction and the reaction would be even greater resistance somewhere else. It may come out towards oneself or it may come out towards others. So awareness, intention and relationship to object is an important area of responsibility and just watching what the inner life is doing to what we attend to. What the inner life is doing in relationship to what we attend to. Sometimes, of course, lovely and beautifully, the inner awareness meets a connection, a solidarity, a communion, in fact, with awareness outside, that means with another, and he, she, or they respond likewise. So there's a meeting of the awareness, there's a meeting of the intention, there's a meeting of the inner outpouring, and there's a real connection, as we would say, of heart and mind, and sometimes in personal relationship, heart, mind and body. And all, all of that is a lovely fusion that can and does, does take place in life. But the wisdom of life, the wisdom of life says, yes, that can and does happen at times, and obviously numerous situations in, in life where there isn't that meeting. So then the meeting of awareness 
has to be free, this is important this, free from the intentions of the mind. We have to meet and understand each other through the open doorway of awareness, independently, separately from the condition of the arising of the mind with its intentions and its conditioning. That's always easy, you say, to follow these, these things. We say, oh, we meet. Why do we meet? We meet well, we connect well, we communicate well, we uh, uh, appreciate each other well, whatever it, we might say with ourselves and other, or others. Why? Heart and mind is in correspondence. Therefore, there's a meeting. But do we have to have heart and mind in correspondence with each other to really know what meeting is. And the teachings say, we don't have to have heart and mind in correspondence. If we understand the open doorway of what the essential nature of awareness is. Which means, essentially, we have met already. In the um, pointing of the rhythm and flow of the of the uh, of the uh, teaching, the probably the most uh, famous uh, talk of the Buddha is called the Four Foundations of Awareness, the Satipatthana Sutta. And um, which I may have referred to the uh, uh, other day, the four of them, body, feelings, uh, general states of mind and uh, dharma, means that three of them, or four of them in fact, the, the, the first three significantly, is bringing so much awareness to body, feelings, and states of mind, that those three areas stand out as supports for awareness, but as genuine areas or objects of interest. What is this body? What is this body? What is this extraordinary sense of feelings which arise and flow and and runs uh, through us, some of them gentle and soft, and some of them full and energized and, and passionate, what we call uh, emotions. What, what, what is all of, all of that flowing through us? The terrific range and states of mind that we have, from the most uh, shallow, chattering, spaced out, superficial kind of mind state, to states of mind which really uh, include altered states of uh, consciousness to great uh, depths of experience which is uh, uh, available and through certain practices and certain disciplines we can touch and explore tremendous range and depth and in that range and depth which is available to us be a rather foolish person who would claim one 
quality of mind or one condition or one state of mind is the one which reveals reality. You know, perhaps nowhere has the, the detail and the description of depth of mind states and altered states of consciousness and the levels and layers of them have been so thoroughly analysed and described and where one can just know thoroughly where one is, in fact, in terms of depths of absorption, realms of, of spaciousness and consciousness, etc. whole way of knowing the formation, the movement, the condition of mind from its most ordinary and everyday, we might say, to its most profound, yet even in that whole spectrum, it's all a state of mind. And the vehicle, the doorway, by which we know any state of mind, any experience that we have, is via awareness. Without that element of awareness being really conscious of, we would have no way of knowing, describing, talking, thinking about, reflecting on, remembering, communicating, writing about. So there's something about awareness which allows the revealing of states of mind, states of emotion and feelings, states of body. A few years ago I went to see uh, Hajan Damodaro, my uh, uh, teacher, who uh, basically all focused all the teachings that he gave on these, uh, the foundations of awareness. And on a visit to uh, the monastery in uh, southern Thailand, I went there from another monastery with a friend who was just teaching with Shadra and I, Andrew Getz. And he, a monk at that time, we went to the uh, monastery and then the following day at four o'clock in the afternoon, Ajahn Damodaro said oh, to me, oh, come with me to the main monastery of his, yes, we were at the branch monastery. So he, his attendant, because he was in his late seventies, his attendant, uh, a novice, two nuns and me got into the this, uh, car hatchback we kind of squashed into the four of us on the back part of the hatchback and set off at four o'clock in the afternoon for um, no, it was earlier than that, it was a 13 hour about 12 hour drive squashed in this over, yeah, overnight drive, something like that through to the other monastery and then when we finally arrived there more dead than alive <laughs> he called us into his hut the teacher, Ajahn Dharmadara and said let's have um, a dialogue or want to just want to go to bed you know, whatever <laughs> and the theme no, it was four o'clock in the morning, that was it. It was four o'clock in the morning that we left. It was dark, it was four o'clock in the morning. We got there about nine or ten o'clock at night. And he said, let's have a dialogue. Um, what does 
Patana mean? You know, for sati patana, foundations of awareness. Patana also means station. Why would you use the word station or foundation for awareness? There must be some significance in it. This went on, I'm not kidding, till four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he said, we'll tape it. Everybody was so polite. Nobody would say, well, going to bed. <laughs> so he'd done 17 hours in a car. He'd got the microphone out. He sat us around. And we're continuing on, talking about this. And come four o'clock in the morning, I said, I am finished. There's only one place I'm going, and that's the bed. Good, and did my bowing, and went off to bed. Left the others to it, and I got up about two or three hours later, and there was about 50 to 80 pairs of shoes outside his room. As a crowd of lay people had arrived, so he'd done a, he's in his late 70s, 17 hour train journey, five hours or six hours talking uh, about awareness and objects of awareness like I'm doing uh, now. Then I had gone off and the others carried on. And then that finished. And then a crowd of Thai people came, 50, 60 pairs of shoes to discuss the Dharma with him, and so he went on. And I thought, my goodness, Yanai's life, is, my life is definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> easy, e- easier, easier than that. And I just used it as, a, as a, an example there that there is the awareness, there is the object of uh, uh, interest when the mind isn't trapped or inhibited or whatever. Energy and enthusiasm can flow uh, freely and part of the sweetness of all of that is you know, this is someone who's been a monk for 50 years 40 years actually, been a monk for 40 years he's obviously looked into all of these things a million and one times etc uh, etc et he's had countless dialogues on all these uh, things and there he is in his uh, late 70s still as keen as ever to look into what these things mean from experience and understanding what is the? What does it mean? A foundation for awareness. Foundation for awareness. A station. A stopping off point for awareness. And we had there was a, you know, those of us who weren't half asleep. I'm sure it was an interesting discussion. So in in all, all of that, there's the content of things. What we call the personal aspect. But then there's that attending to, not so much the actual personal, but the actual relationship of subject to object, awareness to what it attends to. And how in that meeting between the two, and only in that meeting, can suffering arise. It can't arise outside of that simple duality. It can't arise anywhere else. It has to arise in that relationship because that's life, is in that relationship of, of attending to impact upon us, our impact upon the world we live in. No other, no other suffering, it's only in that field. And because it's in that field, also 
the resolution of it is there as well. And the resolution is so remarkable that it takes out, in an extraordinary way, the whole notion of subject and object having any substance. Therefore it's liberating. When there is the awareness in relationship to object, this I, I think when inquiries we touched on this, the I arises and in its movement can move backwards and forwards between I am aware or to the object, I am feeling happy if it's a feeling, I am sitting here if it's a body, I am uh, uh, I have a contented state of mind, if it's a state of mind, or I am aware of all of that. So with the eye arising, moving backwards and forwards, spending more time in one place than in another, etc., etc., all of that we can attend to. But in the attending to all of that, we could just become extraordinarily skillful at knowing the arising of I what it's connected with, knowing the intentions, where it's generating resistance. So even when the body, Buddha was once asked, what is the body? And in the many descriptions, organic and elements, and composed of this, that and the other, one was, the body is a point of resistance. And we know, just from our meditation, that at times, when there is, say, pain in the body, which is an obvious form of resistance, the sense of the body can appear to be extraordinarily strong. And when it's possessive as well, my body, my pain, what I am having to go through, it appears even stronger. So the eye contributes to the resistance. When the body is in pain, it, it, it's more outstanding. And when there's no resistance with body, sometimes the division between here and a centimetre above the lines get softened. And so at times, we can be sitting with awareness, no interest whatsoever in the appearance of the body, the shape of the body, or whatever. And there's a genuine expansive sense in which the hard line called the body actually begins to dissolve itself. We've just got the eyes closed, for example. We're just totally present, and the notion of body as substance begins to fade away, and the experience is just the vibrations of life. No real sense of solidity about it. It's a valid perception, it's authentic experience, or whatever. And thus the body as a, as it, as a thingness, as a point of resistance, can begin to fade. 
And if we can explore that again and again, maybe the sense of this is just the vibration of life, just the ebb and flow of the formation of life, or whatever. Perhaps it would not only reduce my body, and therefore fear, fear of change, fear of old age, fear of death, but it will allow us, with our awareness, and especially with a meditative awareness, to sense body in a kind of light of movement, to sense body in a pulse of life, in a vibration of life, in a manifestation of life, to sense body in a more formless way rather than the form of who I am. And if we can begin to experience bodily life in a much more formless way, and say and acknowledge this perception of in a formless way is just as valid as with form. Perception of body without resistance is just as valid a perception as with resistance. Just as flows of energy, just, uh, just as important as seeing what one sees in the mirror, so to speak. It might help to reduce considerably those levels of anxieties so common to human beings born of change, born of ageing, born of lowering of energy, born of uh, sickness, born of the imminence of death or whatever. That kind of understanding can come to us because we have altered and brought about a different kind of awareness of all this. And we're not staying stuck with the body is a thing which belongs to me, I don't want to die, I don't want to change, I don't want to, to uh, grow old. And as a friend of mine uh, said to me when a mother, a parent died, it was very old, the, some lines that she ha, ha, had written, a piece of the paper at the home, and I may not remember precisely, but along the line, whatever I did, I, I never, uh, in my life, I never deserved uh, this in old age. And it's again something which, in the movement and the passage of, of life and the flow, flow of it, who knows? Who knows how this will all be? for us in the, in, the passage, in the passage of the years. But one says, and one hopes, that if we've been very clear, not stayed absolutely tight on one perception of thingness, of problem, formless sense there when there's just vibrations of life, sensations of life, opened up in that particular way, got so grounded and so familiar with that kind of perception, the problem of ageing will diminish dramatically. It's not a problem, it's just movement of life, changing forms and shapes. All of that's possible and available to us through the willingness to bring awareness, meditative observations, to that which matters most to us. And what matters most to us? Body feeling, our states of mind, 
and the interaction with the world around the Dharma of life. Any of those four, or since they all matter so much to us, are not a issue nor a problem of itself. And therefore the nature of the awareness is it reveals all equally. It reveals it so well and so clearly that if if it's so well and so clear it takes the problem out of body, problem out of emotion, problem out of mind state and problem out of the Dharma of life. And therefore the problem out of so-called self-existence. There are times when we do create enough time, might be short-lived, and we just stop and we're still, and we just turn the attention inwardly, and we say, we ask ourselves, what's the problem? And it can be extraordinarily hard to find. What's the problem? And even those intimations, when something seems to be a a great drama in one's life, strange, unexpected, not changing, or whatever it might be, and even in the midst of a great drama, in which all hell is breaking loose in one's mind or body, it's not unusual from the depth of the being to arise What's the problem? What am I making such a fuss about this for? And therefore sometimes there's a a kind of wisdom that comes through about anything. And therefore this intimacy with life really does raise the question is, really, is there any problem in life? And if we attend and listen to that well and uh, deeply, we'll wonder what on earth did we ever make a fuss about anything for? anything. And some might say, oh, that could just end up a kind of passive indifference to life. But actually seeing the emptiness of problem, what it releases is a great deal of warmth and love and affection for those who really believe they have a problem. having seen the mythology of it, and the emptiness of it, and the absence of any true reality, any true significance, having seen through it, one naturally feels a terrible pity for someone to believe that cows fly, that problems are really problems. Uh, 
I think there's enough natural intuition and instinct. We have some depth with our meditation to to show and remind us that problems are full of emptiness. That's very freeing and then one says, ah, this is why the Buddha loved to talk about emptiness so much. He's referring to the emptiness of the problems of life. There's no greater emptiness to realize than this one. May all beings see the emptiness of problems. May all beings live with a bright awareness. May all beings live with great freedom. So let's have a couple of uh, silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.